To our next edition of the Mike Carrera Radio Program, What's Up America? As always, probably broadcasting from Coe, Florida, USA, planet Earth. And my next guest is a great legend in and mu- music and definitely an icon. And we're so blessed and honored to have him here today, Mr. Tommy uh, Rowe, Thomas David Rowe, and Tommy, it's a pleasure and honor that you could uh, join me today as we talk all about, you know, your music. And I also want to talk about this great book. And I'm so, you know, I've been following, you know, your career for so many years and such a big fan. And I'm so glad that you did write a book. It is called Cabbage Town, a Tinsel Town and places in between and to tell our audience a little bit about cabbage town that's actually a uh, suburb in atlanta and it's basically about your kind of journey between there and getting to hollywood then right well mike first thanks for having me on your show it's good to talk to you um yeah you know the cat from cabbage town to tinsel town is a is a thing i've is a book i've been working on silently for about five years and seriously for the past three years and finally we got it done my co-writer Mike Krikorian helped me put it together and uh, basically what I tried to do in the book uh, if you like sex drugs and rock and roll you won't like my book (laughs) (laughs) 
I've, I've tried to take it to a different level, another level, and I've tried to parallel the influence of music in the 60s on our culture and our politics and on our, really our way of life and how much influence that music had on the changes that took place during the 60s. So that's kind of what I did with the book. And, of course, I take you from my childhood on up to, to today and uh, all of the experience, experiences I've had in between. So I'm real excited about the book, and I'm real pleased with it, and I hope everybody enjoys it. So, Tommy, let's talk a little bit about, you know, that that childhood and, you know, being in bands, you know, as you were growing up. So we understand that your first band or your first musical venture was a group called the Satins. Was that right? That That's correct. That was my group I put together in high school. They were there's three of us, Bobby West on guitar and Mike uh, Clark on drums and myself. We didn't have a bass player, so we had kind of a thin sound. But we started in high school, and we played um, mostly after the basketball games and after the football games in the gymnasium, and that's kind of what got us rolling. And then uh, we started, uh, after that, we added a bass player, Drolet Bush, and we started playing local venues like fraternity parties and uh, festivals and that kind of thing around Atlanta and the Southeast. So that was the beginning for me. And now we understand, Tubby, that you actually wrote Sheila when you were 14 years old. So was that before or during the Satins? That was before the Satins. I, and, and actually how that happened, I talk about this in the book, of course, but I had a crush on this little girl going into high school. Her name was Frida. And so I, I used to write these little poems, and I wrote a poem for her called Sweet Little Frida. And about the same time, my dad taught me three chords on the guitar, so I I thought, well, you know, maybe I can put some music to this poem and, you know, write a song. Who knows? So I did, and it was originally, I, we sang it as Sweet Little Frida, you'll know if you see her blue eyes in a ponytail. But the interesting thing is, before I had the chance to present the the song to Frida, because, you know, we used to, like, chase each other around the playground and stuff, she moved out of the neighborhood, so she doesn't have a clue that she started the whole thing. And I have no idea where Frida is. I never saw her again after she left the neighborhood. And, uh, and then, of course, later on, uh, I auditioned for a record producer, and he, he loved the song. He wanted to record it, but he didn't like the title. So that's why we changed it to Sheila. Oh, okay. And so, uh, uh, Tommy, then kind of after the Satins, you kind of made your way to Nashville. Was that it? Right. What happened is I met Felton Jarvis. Um, I was playing a, a show for Paul Drew, who was a disc jockey in Atlanta. And Felton Jarvis came to the show with him, and he liked our band. And he talked to me about uh, recording, but he didn't want to record the band. He just wanted to record me as a single artist. And so that was the beginning of the end of Tommy Rowe and the Satins. Uh, they kind of got upset with me, of course, for doing that. But uh, you know, Buddy Holly had his crickets and Tommy Rowe had his satins and we have to make decisions in life. So I decided to take Felton up on the deal and uh, he took me to Nashville and he wanted to re-record Sheila. So we re-recorded it and um, like we say, when there's nothing left to say, the rest is history. Oh, fantastic. Uh, so, you know, one of the things here I see, uh, Tommy, you know, in your, your press release is it is Tommy Rowe, father of bubblegum music. So, I mean, obviously you you approve that, but what, what do you what do you think about that? I mean, how did that all come about? Well, uh, initially, when I was called the king of bubblegum, I was kind of offended by it because it was more or less a slap in the face by the radio people about uh, my songs, you know, because what I did, I was in the Army. I joined the Army Reserves in 1964, and that was the big uh, influx of the British invasion, they called it, when all the British acts started coming to America after the Beatles were so successful. And while I was in the service, I was thinking about how is what I would do to compete with all this great music coming from England, you know, because they were just burning up the charts and really pushing the American acts off the charts. So uh, I, I decided I would write what I called at the time soft rock, and so I wrote Sweet Pea while I was in there. That was my idea to write a soft rock song. And when I got out of the service, I recorded it, and it turned out to be a huge hit for me, and the DJs started calling it bubblegum music. And so, like I said, I was offended at first, but later on I just embraced it and I run with it, and now every time I 
perform in front of an audience and I sing Sweet Pea and I see the big smile on the face of my audience, I think, well, there's nothing wrong with bubblegum music. It makes people happy. So I've embraced it through the years and I enjoy doing my songs. We have a lot of fun with them and they're, you know, they're still very fresh and new to the people. So in the long run, it worked out for me. Oh, fantastic. Uh, and, you know, we're talking about the Beatles, and I understand, which is really awesome, Tommy, is that the, if I understand this right, the Beatles actually opened for you as as your opening act. Was that right? Or? Yeah, what happened, you know, Chris Montez and I were booked in uh, England for a tour, and Chris and I were the headliners of the tour. Right. And uh, so when we got to England, we looked at the bill that, they had put together the lineup and there was an act on the show, a featured act called the Beatles. And they were kind of down at the bottom of the, of the uh, bill, you know? So we'd never heard of the Beatles before. And this was 1963. Nobody had ever heard of the Beatles before. It was only their second big tour. And uh, so initially, you know, they opened the show and they, they opened the show for us and they, but what happened, the Beatles were just on the verge of breaking huge in England. And they had this such a huge following that uh, it was just impossible to follow them. So we had to change the the order of the show around because and let the Beatles close the show because it, they created such chaos, you know. It reminded me of the first time I saw Elvis Presley when I was 14 years old. I went, I went to see Elvis in Atlanta at the Paramount Theater, and I had this front row seat down like on the third row, and I was really excited because I thought, you know, I'm going to get to see Elvis, hear him sing, and this is great, you know. Well, Scotty Moore and the band came out and did a few numbers, and they got polite applause. But when they introduced Elvis, just chaos broke out in the, in the theater. People were climbing over my shoulder to get on stage, and the girls were screaming. I never really heard him sing, <laughs> you know. So it reminded me of that. And I, in fact, I was so excited about working with them, and, and I tried to uh, get them a deal with my record label. And I actually brought their a little promo pack back to New York with me, and and tried to get my label to sign them, and they turned them down. They thought, wow, these guys will never make it in America. <laughs> so, uh, well, that, that that's really something, and I understand what's e- even more awesome is that, you know, you, you, you knew John Lennon personally, and I understand that he actually lent his guitar so you could write, what was it, everybody? Right. That's correct, yeah. On the tour, John would let me borrow his guitar, and, and actually it's an interesting story about that guitar. That guitar, a couple of years ago, sold at auction for $2.4 million. So I like, to, I like to tell people, since I wrote my song, my hit song, Everybody, on that same guitar, it's got to be worth at least $3.4 million now, right? But, but uh, he did. He let me borrow his guitar, and uh, I wrote Everybody on that tour. And when I got back to the States, I recorded it, and it became my... My next big hit after Sheila, it went to number three in Billboard magazine, so it was a big follow-up record for me. And the Beatles kind of influenced me on writing that song because they were really just doing American music from the 50s when I toured with them. They, they had just, you know, they would redo it, revamp it, and do it in their own style. But uh, it inspired me to write everybody kind of a rockabilly song, which was rockabilly was actually my roots in the beginning. I was considered a rockabilly artist, so uh, that was the reason for writing that song, and and then it, uh, it it got me back in the charts, and then I had to go in the service right after that, so I was out of commission in 1964 because I was in the service. And Tommy, we all know, you know, about the, the monkeys, how they kind of, you know, was similar, bubblegum, sunshine rock, and then move, try to move more into that psychedelic realm as well. Of, of course, the Beatles, I mean, was that something that crossed your mind? Did you think you moved into that direction or? Well, I was trying to do that with the Fantasy album and the It's Now Winter's Day album in 1967 and 68. But, you know, if you think about it, the Beatles were really the blueprints for bubblegum music. I mean, their early songs, Love Me Do, Please Please Me, I Want to Hold Your Hand. I mean, what's the difference in, in those in those songs and Oh Sweet Pea, Come On and Dance With Me and Hooray for Hazel? I mean, they're all happy pop songs, you know. So, But they were they were British, so they were considered in a different niche than myself. And, and you know, my niche turned out to be very good for me because the, the bubblegum sound, even today, there's a big demand for bubblegum music, soft rock music, whatever you want to call it. And uh, when I do it in my shows, you know, the people just love it. So 
uh, it's, there's a great market for that style. Okay, Tommy, you know what? That sounds great. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back. My guest today is a rock legend, Mr. Tommy Rowe. You are listening to the Mike Kerr Radio Program, What's Up America, as always, probably broadcasting from Ocoee, Florida, USA, planet Earth. And please stay with us for our next segment of this edition of our program today. I 
Welcome back to our next segment of this edition of the Mike Care Radio Program, What's Up America? As always, probably broadcasting from Ocoee, Florida, USA, planet Earth. My guest today is rock and roll legend, Mr. Tommy Rowe. Tommy, it's a pleasure and honor to have him here today. He's also got a great book called... Uh, from uh, Cabbage Town to Tinsel Town and places in between. You definitely want to check that out about his life and uh, his uh, you know, career done in a, a very unique way. And so again, my guest is Tommy Rowan. Tommy, pleasure, honor you could join me today. Uh, thanks so much. We truly do appreciate it. And, you know, one of the, you know, we all have our favorite uh, Tommy Rose songs, and mine might be a little one that you might not have heard as much, and that's Heather Honey. I don't know if you get a, a, lot, a lot of people say that's their favorite. or Yeah, I do Heather Honey in my show. It's a funny story about Heather Honey. We were, my band and I were doing a show a couple of years ago in Tennessee, and it was a biker convention, you know, so you had all these bikers there with their Harleys and dressed in their black leather, and they had their girlfriends with them, and the whole thing, and the, it was an outdoor event festival. So when we started doing our show that evening, this one guy kept coming up to the stage and, and requesting leather honey. And I, I looked at him, I, he said it a couple of times, and I said, you, don't you mean my hit Heather Honey? He said, not around here with our babes, it's leather honey. So, so we sang, I sang leather honey for them all night, and they were just happy as Happy as could be with the title Leather Honey. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So, Tommy, I have to ask, with Jam Up and Jelly Tight, I mean, it, was that like a, a dance, or what's the story behind that one? Well, you know, I, being a formula songwriter, that's what I always consider myself, a formula songwriter. I would always come up with a title first, and Jam Up and Jelly Tight is something that my father used to say all when I was growing up as a kid. Like, if he had a good meal, he'd lean back in his chair and say, Mom, that's, that was Jam Up and Jelly Tight. It was like when we say groovy or out of sight. So it always stuck with me, that, that title, you know. And, and so finally, I, when I started writing with Freddie Weller, I, I, I brought it out. I suggested, let's write a song around it. And it turned out to be a huge hit for me. Actually, it was a, my fourth gold record, so... It was a very big record. But the, the saying actually came, it's an old Southern saying for when uh, the, the woman of the house would, put, would do the jams and jellies, you know, when they'd put, put them in the jars and seal them and the whole thing. And when they were all finished, they would put, a, they would put them in the, in the uh, pantry and they would say the jams up and it's jelly tight. And that's where that saying came from. Oh, great. And now with the, the song Dizzy, I want again one of my favorites. And I, I know you had that stri those strings and violins and cellos and all of that. Mm -hmm. Was was that your initial idea or No, actually that was uh Jimmy Haskell was the arranger out here in Los Angeles and uh when we did the track I I, I gave him the track to do the arrangement and when I got we went back to the studio the next day to put the strings on when he started playing the strings on there. I said, man, that's fantastic. I tell you a little story about Dizzy. Dizzy is the only record I ever recorded that when I left the studio, I knew it was a hit. All the rest of my songs, I always thought, well, I could have done this. I might, I might have sang this better. Or I could have changed the uh, guitar lick here or guitar lick there. But when, when we finished Dizzy, I just knew it was a hit. And it was, it was an immediate hit. When we released it, it was in the Billboard charts within three weeks. I mean, it was just instantaneous, you know. So it was just one of those, you know, great th things that happened. Uh, it was number one for four weeks in Billboard, which is really quite amazing, really, you think about it. But it was a great song for me. And I wrote that with Freddie Weller as well, my writing partner. Freddie, Freddie used to be the lead guitar player for Paul Revere and the Raiders, and 
uh, we would tour with the Dick Clark uh, Caravan of Stars, and Paul was always on the show, and Freddie and I started writing songs as we drove around the country on the bus, you know, touring together. So uh, we, we turned out to be pretty productive songwriters. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you about, uh, you know, Dick Dick Clark. I understand that he had, was a very unique person, had a very unique uh, view on, on money and, and, and kind of frugal. Was that it? Or? Well, he was, uh, you know, he was such a great guy. I mean, he helped so many of us young guys in the music business trying to make a name for ourselves. And if uh, if he liked you, he would really, I mean, the first time I did Bandstand in Philadelphia, it was right before he moved to California. And, you know, I, as a kid, I watched Bandstand every afternoon. And when he invited me to do Bandstand, I was just thrilled to death. You know, I mean, that was incredible to be on Bandstand. But Dick was, um, I, I remember he used to tell us when we would do our show, we'd have, you know, he would have eight to ten acts on a show. And you'd go out and sing your hits. Maybe do two or three songs. If you had three hits, you'd sing three songs. If you had one hit, you'd sing one song. But if, if the song, if the show got too long, he would get really upset. And he used to come out and MC the shows. And if we went like an hour and forty-five minutes, well, he would just blow his top. He, he said, "I don't care who you are. Any show over an hour and a half is too long, and we got to keep this show at it. one hour and thirty minutes." And if he had Three acts on the show would be one hour and thirty minutes. If he had ten acts on the show, it'd be one hour and thirty minutes. So, you know, he was very adamant about that. Oh, okay. And you know, one of the things uh, you know, we, we talk so much about the the music, uh, Tommy, and and on the album, you know, that I I got twenty one years ago, and I I just fell in love with. There was a song, and this is a, a cover. And that is Stagger Lee, and I think oh, yeah. it, I think it's the best version I've heard. There's just so much so much passion and power going on there. Yeah, thank you. That was recorded as an afterthought in one of my sessions. I, I was recording with the Wrecking Crew out here in Los Angeles, and we did several songs. And I forgot what was on the on the on the list of songs we did that day, but we had about ten minutes left on the session, so I. I said, let's do Stagger Lee. You know, we had time. We just ran it down one time and recorded it. And it turned out to be a great record for me. I, it was really, it got into charts for me, actually charted pretty high. And, um, but I love doing that in my show as well. And, you know, I have a new record out. I don't know. I sent you a copy of it. Uh, maybe you received yeah, it. Yeah, I just did, did. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I, you know, one thing I do, um, Mike, is I still write songs and I still make records after all these years. It's just something I do whether they get heard or not. I mean, sometimes they just get heard by my family, but I just released this new one, and what, what it, it's called Just Your Kind of Song, and I wrote it. It's a rockabilly kind of thing, so I've gone back to my rockabilly roots, and I've tried to... The song is about... Uh, well, the lyrics, I think, are really, really cool. I mean, I'm talking about uh, the good old days of high school and the high school friends and all the things that went to the music and the whole thing. So it's nostalgic in a way, and I hope people enjoy it. Oh, wow. So so that that's uh, out and, and available, that people could get that right now, then? That's correct. It's on iTunes. And, and then, of course, if you want to order my book, you can get autographed copies by going to my website at TommyRowe.com. And uh, I autograph the book and send it to you. And then, of course, you can purchase it at Amazon.com without an autograph. But, I mean, um, autograph copies is at uh, www.tommyrow.com. So you mentioned, uh, Tommy, that you take a you 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 know unique look in you know it's kind of then your 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 journey then you know like you said from Cabbage Town to Tinsel Town then it, it right. So that includes like all the stories about the the Beatles and the music. Then, or I talk about I talk about the Beatles a lot in the book. You know, my early history with the Beatles. Uh, everybody is interested in that. There's very few artists that toured with them in the early days. Uh, myself and Chris, and we we kind of, and then Roy Orbison, and actually we the three of us have the distinction of being three American artists upstaged by the Beatles early on in their career. It's kind of an interesting distinction, but. The same thing happened to Roy. You know, Roy was doing a tour after hours over in England. He was the headliner of the tour, 
and they had to switch the the order around again because you just couldn't follow them. I, you know, anytime an artist gets caught up in that that uh, pandemonium of a superstar like Michael Jackson or Elvis or the Beatles, you know, it's just uh, it's such a big thing that they accomplish. You know, that phenomenon of being a superstar. Uh, they really don't need other acts on the show. I remember when uh, the Beatles did their first concert in America in 1964. Uh, after they did the Sullivan show, uh, Brian Epstein invited me to open the show for them in Washington, D.C. on February 11th, uh, 1964, which I did. I opened the show for him. But, you know, he didn't have a clue what was about to happen with the Beatles. They didn't need opening acts at all. All they needed to do was show up and perform on their own, you know. But um, none of them really had a clue what fate had in store for them. And even early on when I toured with them in England, all they talked about was maybe one day they could come to America. They they never dreamed that they'd even get to come to America. And then, I mean, they were so interested in, you know, who I had met. Like, they asked me if I met Buddy Holly, if I knew Elvis. I mean, all kinds of questions they would ask back and forth about America. And they asked about the South, you know, where I grew up, what it was like. They were, they were very interested in, in that. So... They were just like uh, four young guys like myself trying to make a name for themselves in the music business, and uh, they had they had no idea what what was about to happen. <laughs> and when it happened, I think they were kind of stunned by it, you know? Okay, Tommy, you know what? That sounds fantastic. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back for a very last segment of this edition of our program today. My guest today is Mr. Tommy Rowe rock legend he has got a brand new book out that you definitely want to check out it is called from cabbage town the tinsel town and uh, places in between basically it describes you know wh- where he started out uh, in atlanta then moving to nashville then moving to hollywood and uh, we're so glad uh, that we could have tommy Half an hour goes by so quickly, and uh, maybe we could have Tommy here in the future to tell us more. But, you know, get that book, because that's going to have a lot of great details. Again, my guest is Tommy Rowe. You are listening to the Mike Care Radio program, What's Up America, as always, probably broadcasting from Ocoee, Florida, USA, planet Earth. And please stay with us for our very last segment of this edition of our program today. Stop! 
Welcome back to our very last segment of this edition of the Mike Care Radio Program, What's Up America? As always, proudly broadcasting from Ocoee, Florida, USA, Planet Earth. My guest today is a great rock legend, Mr. Tommy Rowe, who has got a brand new book about his uh, life. It's called From Cabbage Town to Tinseltown and Places in in Between. You definitely want to check that out. Uh, it's basically about uh, Tommy's career and how he got where he did. And uh, we're so blessed and honored to have Tommy here today. We want to thank Tommy Rowe so much for being here today. I've been trying to interview him for eight years so i'm glad that this worked out and an opportunity definitely arose up you are listening to the, this great uh, mike care radio program and i want to thank you for doing that i want to thank each and every one of our radio listeners for listening today and you know if you've got a show idea story idea want to say hi MikeKira.com is where you go and uh, send me an email. Give me a call. If you'd like to be a tweet peep, you could do that by simply going to uh, Twitter.com slash MikeKira73. And there you get behind the scenes. Look at what's going on. Like I said, I'll say I interviewed Tommy Rowe. Then I'm going to say I, you know, um, working on a show with Tommy Rowe. Then I'm going to say, Tommy Rowe's show is airing on the website. So again, my guest is Tommy Rowe. It was a pleasure and honor, uh, Tommy, that you could join me today. We're so blessed and honored to have you here today. Thanks so much. Okay, uh, Tommy, you know, we, we had kind of talked before we started this uh, interview about how you're familiar with Florida, and one reason I know, I just, just remember now, I actually had the pleasure, honor of seeing you at, at Walt Disney World at Epcot uh, for their oh, yeah. Flower and Garden show. Yeah, that was a great show. I love working Disneyland, Disney World down there, of course, and, and you know, when I started out here in Los Angeles when I moved to Los Angeles in the mid-60s. I used to work Disneyland a lot out here, and those venues are always exciting. You have family audiences there, and they seem to really enjoy the nostalgia of 60s music. Epcot was a great venue. Yeah, glad you could make it. 
Yeah, fantastic. And one thing I, I, I noticed, which was, was great at that concert, is you have kids 10 years old singing along. They know that they know the words. So it's great that the music is getting passed down from generation to generation here. Yeah, it's true. It's hand-me-down music. But, it's, you know, that's why I say it's very family-oriented. Uh, when I do shows, you know, we have people my age and, you know, in their 40s, and then they bring their kids and their grandkids with them. And, you know, the the grandkids love 60s music. They know all the words, and uh, it's just incredible how that music holds up even today with the new generations. And, you know, Tommy, when we were just, uh, you know, I was just uh, talking with my dad, you know, about, uh, you know, touring. So, I mean, we, we we know that you do shows, but you don't actually do traditional uh, touring. I mean, is it, a, is it a situation like with Florida, they kind of fly you in and then fly, fly you back home or... Right, right. I don't do tour like, uh, you know, you have the Turtles out there doing the Happy Together tour. I was invited to do that tour. But, uh, you know, I'm doing my own thing now. What I do, I call it an evening with Tommy Rowe, and I do about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half. And I started getting a lot of requests from my fans to do kind of obscure songs. You know, they're used to the hits. I do all the hits in my show, of course. But what I try to do now is I do like uh, obscure album cuts and I do some B-sides. I do some of the cover songs I've done through the years and things that I get requests for from my fans on the, on my website, TommyRowe.com. And uh, so we're having a lot of fun with it. I do Sometimes I will do a Q&A in the middle of the show. I do an acoustic set where I'll do maybe a couple of new songs, you know. And it's kind of, uh, you know, there's smaller venues where it's very intimate and I can you know, really communicate with the audience up close and personal. And I, I, that's what I'm really enjoying now. And, you know, I used to do over 100 dates a year. I, I don't want to do that anymore, I, but I still enjoy performing. So I'm just kind of picking and choosing my venues and trying to have fun with it. And you mentioned, uh, Tommy, about uh, cover songs. So I, I just wanted to ask if one of those cover songs was Crimson and Clover. Right. I did Crimson and Clover. I love that song. It's Tommy James. Um, I did a lot of covers. I did Baby, uh, Baby, I Love You. Uh, uh, I did Yummy, Yummy, Yummy. I did Hanky Panky. Um, I did Carol, Chuck Berry. You know, that's, I'm going to have to do a tribute to Chuck Berry in my next show because he was the greatest. He was really, if you think about it, he was probably the king of rock and roll, really, because he started out um, before Elvis, really. And... Uh, he had such great songs. They're just tra- traditional rock and roll songs. And I do one of his in my show called Carol. And um, I, I did actually I did a cover record of that. It was, it was released while I was in the service in 1964. And my old guitar player from the Satins is playing the lead guitar on that. And he's he's like one of the best rock and roll guitar players in the world. He's fantastic. Oh, so anyway, I'm out there doing my thing, Mike, and. Uh, it's good to talk to you. Uh, I hope to see you when I come back to Florida again. I have a lot of friends in Orlando and uh, get down there occasionally. And Ocala. I have some friends in Ocala. Oh, yeah. We'll have to do that. And before we uh, go, go, Tommy, uh, we want to reiterate where people could get the, the book because there's so much more information there in that book, I know. Yeah, the book is very informative. If you're interested in, you know, the Tommy Rose story, that's the book to buy. It's called From Cabbage Town to Tinseltown and Places in Between. And if you want an autographed copy, you can go to my website, TommyRowe.com, and you can order it on there, and I will autograph it and make sure you get a copy of it autographed. And you can also purchase it on Amazon. So uh, hope you guys love the book. Hope you enjoy it, and um, uh, hope to see you at one of my concerts. Okay, and if people have more inf- uh, questions or information about you, you've got a website then? That's right, TommyRowe.com. That's, that can get you in touch with what I'm doing and what's going on in my life. My new single is on there, Just Your Kind of Song. It's just out. They're doing a big uh, radio blast on it on May 8th and May 9th, my birthday. So it'll be out uh, all to all the stations next week. And so uh, we're looking forward to promoting that and getting it on the air. Oh, okay. And finally, if if people want to, uh, you know, find out where you're you're going to be, then that's going to be on Facebook or your website and all that. Yeah, 
the website, yes, it's under the link appearances. There's a there's a link on the website called appearances, and just click on that, and that'll give you my schedule. Oh, great! And uh, so, I mean, with YouTube, is there anything like uh, good video videos that you have, or do you have a YouTube channel, or? I don't have a channel myself, but I have tons of stuff on YouTube. You know, I don't know. You know, people love to make these videos at my shows. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. But, uh, you know, YouTube is just click on Tommy Rowe and you'll see tons of stuff there. I mean, it's amazing. I don't know how these people have time to do this, but they, they enjoy doing it. So that, that's what matters. So you recommend, and especially if we come back, if you come back to Disney World to take video of you... <laughs> Well, I don't recommend it, but I mean, people do. And, and how, how are you going to stop it? I mean, everybody's got an iPhone today. Yeah, with all these cell phones, yeah. Yeah, and they love to video everything. It's just, the, you know, it's the way it is. I mean, it's, uh, you know, our world has changed from the time when I started. I mean, when I started, the media was so small, you didn't have all of the influx of uh, news media and all of the choices that we have today. So it's a totally different world. But, you know, once, once the cat's out of the bag you can't put it back in right okay uh tommy we really appreciate your time and we appreciate the the, the mu music and we want to wish you a, ha a very happy uh, b birthday and i know that you're going to be still doing this so you're still going to be performing then in moderation for quite a while huh that well as long as i can stand up and walk i mean <laughs> right try to do it as much as I can, because I still enjoy it. I just hate getting there, you know, the travel. The traveling is what I hate. But uh, I enjoy performing, and I enjoy seeing my fans. So hopefully I'll get back to Epcot, to Disney World. And if I do, I look forward to seeing you there, Mike. And it's great talking with you. Okay. Th thanks so much. Any final thoughts or anything else you'd like to mention before we go? Uh, just look for the single, Just Your Kind of Song. I'm going to be promoting that a lot. And, of course, the book. From Cabbage Town to Tinseltown. That's that's what I'm into these days. So hope everybody enjoys it. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, my guest has been Tommy Rowe, and you've been listening to the Mike Care Radio program, What's Up America? And please catch us again next time. <laughs>